0: and welcome to VChat number 42. My name is David Davis from VMwarevideos.com and ActualTech.io. And I'm Simon Seagray from techhead.co. And we're excited to have a special guest today on this VChat edition. Uh, our special guest is Mr. Dan Appleman. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi, so uh, I, I'm a developer. I'm currently the uh, CTO at a company called Full Circle Insights. I started out uh, most of my career on uh, Microsoft Windows. So I was uh, a Windows platform developer back in the Visual Basic days, C Sharp, uh, .NET uh, component vendor, the whole works. And about, I think about eight or nine years ago, uh, I was sort of bored and got dragged kicking and screaming into the Salesforce world. Uh, so now I'm doing the same kinds of things I used to do in the Windows world. Uh, Writing books, speaking courses, and so on, except I'm doing it in the, on the Salesforce platform. So definitely 100% now in the cloud. So,
0: you know, some of the infrastructure folks out here who are in our audience, they might be wondering hey, Dan is obviously a, a developer, he's an application guy. Why is he on the VChat? today. Um, and that's because Simon and I have so many application questions. I mean, there's DevOps, there's containers, you know, there's automation. We're all interested. We're all excited in that stuff. And that's why uh, we wanted to have someone as, as talented in, in those areas as Dan on the, uh, on the uh, VChat today to, to help us answer developer and application questions for us infrastructure you know, folks. So, uh, thanks so much, Dan, for being on today. Um, you know, Simon, you want to kick off some of the questions for Dan?
2: Yeah, definitely. As as David said, I mean, I'm I'm an infrastructure guy from way back. Well, actually, truth be known, um, I started my career as a developer back in '93, '94. Um, as as with Dan, um, I, as a Visual Basic developer, also in Delphi. Uh, Delphi, sorry. Uh, which I believe is no more, Um, back in the Windows development days. So uh, I started as a developer and I was a developer for a couple of years before making that transition across to uh, infrastructure. yeah, I've always wanted to keep my keep my hand in as it were with development but obviously you need to invest time in that and if, you know life takes over you don't have time so I mean there's a massive shift these days obviously from um, on-premise type applications to more cloud-based uh, applications So David and I you know we were talking about that and uh, that's where we thought you know it'd be, be fantastic to get someone like Dan on here that could answer these <laughs> as David said these sort of questions because I've got a ton of them um, you know and I wouldn't mind sort of uh, uh, upskilling myself again in the areas of of at least an appreciation of, of this sort of new generation of application development. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Dan, we, uh, you're, um, uh, you're an author, uh, we see, and also um, you've got some great courses on Pluralsight uh, plural as well um, around that. And I was, I, was, I was reading your blog the other day, and uh, I see that you had an article there from last year, and it was uh, a Pluralsight uh, campfire tale. Uh, that that was, was was a good read, and on there it, it spoke about how all these you know Visual Basic and C Sharp developers were basically um, no more. You know they were sort of uh, becoming extinct almost. You know with this with this new generation of uh, uh, you know um, uh, development platforms coming through, which sort of ties in with one of your courses you've done as well, which is the Learning Technology in the Information Age, where we look at well. I know when I was going through, um, you know, it, it, when I started my IT career, it was easy to pass out, you know, I'm going to do these courses, I'm going to be a Windows guy, I'm going to, you know, I want to be a CCNA, Cisco guy or, or whatever. These days, it's much harder to do that. So with all that sort of in mind about, you know, technologies, uh, 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 some of them are Become obsolete or are becoming more obsolete. Uh, more some are becoming more prevalent. Do you want to walk us through? Uh, you know what? What are some of the more prevalent technologies? Um, you know, if we were starting out or if we wanted to learn more about it, what what, what technologies or products should we be looking for? And you know, what are your thoughts on that shift as well?
1: Well, first of all, uh, I don't know that there's that big a, a separation between uh, developer and technology, right? Uh, certainly, I, I would not say I'm an infrastructure guy. Uh, Nevertheless, I've been building my own machines since early days and, and uh, even now, uh, I recently uh, launched a website, a uh, uh, Salesforce-specific custom search. So it's called searchtheforce.com because it was, you know, Google was just too broad a range. You wanted to look for something related to the Salesforce platform and you'd get uh, things that were completely irrelevant. So uh, I've been a big fan of Google custom search. I built a Google custom search engine And uh, the way I deployed it was by creating an Ubuntu server, again, on the cloud, EC2 instance, and using uh, the AWS infrastructure. And this, of course, is one of the huge differences between uh, earlier in the career where, you know, before, if you wanted to launch a website, if you wanted to do load balancing, if you wanted to do anything, you would actually have to create your own servers and wire up your network cards and, and have it somewhere or pay someone else to do it at in, in a data center and now you can literally create a complete virtual network with virtual hardware and and everything you can possibly imagine just from your keyboard so you know when you deploy a complex network on AWS are you building infrastructure or are you doing development right it's, it's, it's all a keyboard right nobody's touching any hardware anymore so I, I think those lines are really blurred uh, and I think that is you know, one of the transitions. And the other transition is that most people when creating an application today uh, think cloud first, right? I mean, you know, there, there are desktop applications, but that's not where the real excitement is, I think. People, you know, if you're building a web application, you're building a software as a service, or you're building platform-as-a-service, or you're building virtual machines, but you're, you're very rarely assembling hardware uh, or managing your own servers unless they're virtual. And you're also thinking mobile, right? Uh, uh, hardly anyone, I think, creates a pure desktop application now. Everything has to also have a mobile component. Uh, and these are, these are fairly recent transitions, uh, and they're huge.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, those ones, uh, I think mobile is quite often overlooked, but I mean, I don't. I haven't got any stats to hand or anything like that, but the use of applications um, on, on mobile devices is huge now, isn't it? I mean, uh, um, you know, definitely, like you say, if you're going out there to, as a company or a business to develop an application, yes, you'd look for cloud, but definitely, well, I wouldn't say secondly, but equally, you would look at if it's applicable or appropriate, look at creating a, a mobile based app at the same time. Um but which is interesting. What sort of um like you mentioned there, it's you know the cost to entry now to spinning up an infrastructure is obviously A a lot quicker and B a lot cheaper. Um but how's it sort of shifted from you know, developing those applications? What would you use to develop those apps now versus the old days where you are perhaps doing a three tier on 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 premise type application with your maybe your web server front end, your database and then your, you know, your uh, your server tier there, uh, or your file f- file store or similar, um, or application tier, rather. Sorry, um, you know, how, how's that differed now? What what's what sort of programming languages or technologies would you be looking at using?
1: Well, your your software architecture is still going to be tiered, right? I mean, uh, I think the the popular term now is MVP M- MVC Model View Controller uh, uh, or variations thereof. Uh, again, the difference is that the different tiers are virtual and they may not be the same system. So, for example, the database for my site is not sitting on the same virtual machine as the application itself, right? Because, you know, Amazon, for example, has specialized database virtual machines. So uh, I don't know that the language is really that important, You know, people get very religious about languages. You know, should it be in C Sharp, ASP.net, should it be in PHP, should it be on whatever it is. And uh, what I always tell people is uh, that the language choice is actually relatively simple uh, and that you should choose the dominant language on whatever platform you're writing for. Uh, And the reason you should choose the dominant language has to do with long-term maintainability. And in fact, that's my most recent course on Pluralsight, is how to build maintainable applications. And uh, the idea there is that if you pick uh, an esoteric language or something that's hot, new, and exciting, but has still very little usage and very little history, uh, you run a serious risk that five years from now, that language will go out of style. There won't be as many people supporting it. Uh, And... That's something to really care about, is how are you going to support the language five years from now? Are you going to be able to hire people? So, astonishingly enough, PHP is still a good choice. It's still a hugely popular language, and uh, you can find PHP developers everywhere, and and it has some proven history. So... Yeah, so bit like
2: it, um, it, 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 you mentioning that. I mean, it's not a good, good, good uh, comparison at all. But I remember, um, as we probably, you know, as we all do, uh, you know, in '99 there with Y2K coming up, obviously there was a lot of global concern around a lot of the applications that were only intended to be developed for or and used for a couple of years, but you know, in, in the financial industry, and then obviously, not, you know, 1999 rolls around. And I know the company I was working for at the time, they were scrambling. It was a financial institution or a banking institution, and they were scrambling to find COBOL developers because the, the those applications were developed in COBOL. Um, and, and at the time, I mean, it was—it was. I wouldn't say it was a dead language, but it was a language that was, shall we say, not as popular at the time. Um, and so, trying to get your hands on a competent uh, a COBOL developer to go in there and check all your code was actually quite hard. I mean, fantastic if your COBOL developer—you just name your price, obviously at the time. But uh, yeah, it just just shows, you know, I mean, COBOL is definitely isn't an obscure language at all. So that's why it wasn't a good example. But uh, it just shows, you know, you could fall into a same trap. Um,
1: Software always lasts longer than you expect. <laughs> right. And 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 we all live with that. It's like, I I wrote that as a prototype. I wrote it years ago. It's like, why does it come back and haunt me or, or haunt someone else? And one of the things that developers sometimes fall into is, you know, they'll see, oh, here's great new language X. And I'm more efficient in it. Say how much more efficient I'm 20% faster. And say, like, wow, if I can write code 20% faster, that's really exciting. Uh, actually it's not. Because the code part of your application, if you think about your whole application lifecycle cost, your code part's 10%. So you know, if you save 20%, then it's like, okay, you've cut 2% off your lifecycle costs. If the consequence of that savings is an increase in 20% on your maintenance costs, and maintenance is half the lifecycle cost, you've made a terrible deal. So uh, it's really important to choose languages based on your expectation of being able to find people and support it five years, ten years from now. Uh, and I know that's a little bit surprising to some people, but uh, you know, that, that's uh, not only theoretically correct, but long, hard experience.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and if you had to pay the the guy to write that code double what you could have paid a PHP developer to write the same code, uh exactly. that, there goes your your uh increased in, in efficiency.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right.
0: Yeah. Great points. Um so I mean for for people who were just getting started in coding, um, you know, they want to do some some automation in their infrastructure or maybe write some some basic Applications. What What do you tell people?
1: Well, uh, infrastructure is, is a very broad term. So the first thing I would look at is which piece of infrastructure are, are you choosing. So I know um, you know a lot of people are very excited about uh, you know the CIS- Cisco networking world and so on, and and that's an exciting world. You know if you're going to be working for a large corporation or for a data center, uh, of which there are fewer doing that. Uh, So the first thing I would say is if you are uh, taking the infrastructure IT path uh, learn AWS, learn Azure, learn uh, Google Compute Engine, learn how to manage them, learn how to script them and control them and secure them. Uh, That's where everybody is, that's where the excitement, the demand is. Uh, Salesforce uh, the reason i'm in the salesforce world and a lot of people are saying salesforce that's just an application and uh in fact salesforce is a platform now and that's one of the uh one of the big stories in the cloud world i think over the past uh uh 5 or 6 years is how salesforce has turned from this crm application and that's not very exciting other unless you're a salesperson to a real software development platform which means that there's, there are people managing it and there are people programming against it and, and a lot of people and the reason it's exciting is because the people who use Salesforce are large companies medium and large companies who have lots of money and because so many people uh, both developers and I expect IT folk don't realize it's a platform and they'll give it respect so to speak as a platform uh, the supply of people who work on that platform is far below what is needed, which means that, uh, you know, high demand, low supply, lots of money, lots of opportunity.
0: So, Dan, uh, one of the things I've noticed, you know, talking about Salesforce and the Salesforce cloud, like you said, it's a lot more than a CRM. I mean, I've seen um, VMware's um, partner system. If you're a VMware partner, you log in and it's, it's going to force.com. Um, I've seen my local ma and pa cable company. Now, when I log into billing, it goes to force.com. Um, so I've noticed more and more applications, you know, online moving to force.com. But to be honest with you, I really don't know what force.com is. I mean, so can you tell us a little bit for those who don't know, like what is, I mean, beyond just Salesforce as a CRM, what is the Salesforce cloud?
1: Okay, so uh, the way I like to think about it is is you have these dis- different terms you have first you have infrastructure as a service when you think about cloud, and that's where uh, that's where a w s really shines uh, the idea that uh, you know you can set up virtual machines and you can set up virtual firewalls and virtual databases and so on and what you're doing is you're taking the physical reality of hardware and you're just moving it into the cloud. Uh, next thing you have is uh, is uh, platform as a service. And platform as a service is more uh, sort of the Docker style where you uh, uh, deploy an application and all of its dependencies and so on, uh, and they're run. So it's not really, you don't get a complete virtual machine. You don't have to worry about virtual machines because the, uh, the cloud can scale it as needed. Uh, and, you know, sort of less, you, you care less about infrastructure. You're delegating that. Uh, Salesforce, you're getting really into the realm of software as a service. And the idea there is you don't have to think about infrastructure at all. Uh, you know, you, the the infrastructure is taking care of identity. It's taking care of security. It's taking care of all the resource management. And all you're doing is writing your pure application that's on this platform. And uh, this is what Salesforce is providing. It provides uh, the databases built in. There's a programming language. There's a lot of ability to create process without code at all, just what they call it, clicks not code. And uh, there's the ability to create rich user interfaces through uh, Visual Force and, and their new Lightning uh, uh, infrastructure. So the reason you see people going to force.com is because uh, if your business model fits it, and it's usually a, a per user type business model, uh, it is by far the cheapest way to create an application because it does so much for you. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's why you're seeing it catch on in more and more places because it's just, uh, you know, they're taking care of the infrastructure for you.
2: Can you give us a couple of examples of the type of applications you're seeing developed on force.com? Um... Uh, Obviously, it sounds like it's quite a flexible language behind it. And What what, what type of things are you seeing being developed, maybe yourself or other people are are using it for? Uh,
1: I would say at this time, a lot of the applications are still uh, tools and add-ons for people who are using the Salesforce application. Uh, There are an increasing number of full-featured applications, uh, like accounting packages and so on. basically any application where uh, you're sort of charging per user, right? So, which a lot of enterprise applications are like that, is a really good candidate for force.com because uh, you can basically deploy all of their infrastructure and, uh, you know, charge people and it handles all of the licensing and all the tracking and all the user identity. You You know, think about If you're doing a user-based application, you know, you're keeping track of users, logins, and so on, imagine you didn't have to actually do any of the user management. You didn't have to do any of the user security, right? It was all just built in at a a really fine-grained level. Uh, What a cost savings that would be. And. That's why people are are using it because you don't have to think about those things.
2: So people people may be not familiar with Salesforce because the name you know I I know what it is obviously but you know that people listening to this perhaps don't know what Salesforce is. To me, it sounds like it was uh, you know probably a software package that tracks uh you know sales reps sales or maybe uh, uh, sales over the internet or physical sales like David say, you know, um, Dave's mentioned there, if it's a mom and pop shop, uh, maybe it's a hardware store, maybe they're keeping track of their inventory, that type of thing, plus sales. Um, are, are they, I'd imagine they're the typical use cases. Um, any any other sort of, um, sort of more, well, more... more no, 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 that, yeah,
1: yeah that's, that's that's the CRM, CRM application. application. That's, that's where it started. Yeah. Right?
2: So what type and of things are you seeing now, though? Uh,
1: uh, so there's a lot, for example, uh, that that I see. And remember, I'm a developer, so I actually don't even come close to seeing the whole world of of what things, what people are doing out there. Yeah, uh, you know, we're doing marketing analytics ourselves, right? So the ability to drill down and say, uh, okay, I have a marketing campaign. Uh, which of my marketing campaigns are generating revenue, and which ones are not? So that's an example. Uh, if you you have nonprofits right, who are tracking their members, who are tracking their donors. Uh, I can imagine the, right now on a, a political campaign, it would be awesome for a political campaign to be able to track everyone. And, you know, you can you can literally just in the database do a query search, say, you know, give me a list of all my donors who who contribute more than this, who live within a 10-mile radius of here. So, you know, bring them in for a meeting. And, and you can do this incredibly easily, right, because it's all just... It's all just there on the platform. So, originally it was a CRM application, but they've essentially turned it into a platform. And, uh, you know, again, there's you can go to the uh, Salesforce AppExchange, appexchange.com, and you can see a list of all of the different kinds of applications that are available that run on the platform. So...
0: I mean, they must be doing something right uh, because I know their Dreamforce conference, they're saying it's the, the largest software conference on earth with over 150,000 attendees. Wow. 150,000?
1: Wow. Yeah. It is, it is a zoo. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking at Dreamforce again this year, and it, it's just amazing. 150,000?
2: My gosh, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, the largest conference I've been to is probably Oracle Open World, and that's, uh, what, 45,000 when I went a couple of years ago? And I, I thought
0: that was big. <laughs> Isn't Dreamforce the one in San Francisco where they bring in the cruise ship to house all the attendees?
1: Yeah, I don't think they have a a, a cruise ship this year, <laughs> uh, but they fill up Moscone and pretty much every conference space anywhere near the downtown. They fill up every hotel in the city. They block off the streets even, right? They block off Howard Street. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I mostly live in Moscone West, which is the developer zone. So I don't even see most of the conference.
2: Uh, wow. That's, that's, that's impressive. Just, I can only imagine. It was, it was an absolute zoo at, at Oracle Open World with 45,000 people. So I can't, I can't even begin
0: to fathom what it'd be like with three times the amount of people. I mean, <laughs> wow. That's, so, that's mind blowing. So, Dan, if somebody wanted to learn uh, you know, how to develop on force.com, uh, have you created resources or what resources do you recommend?
1: So there are a lot of resources. If if you're actually just curious about that world, uh, there's a Pluralsight course there on uh, Salesforce careers that I I created uh, uh, before the pre before last Dreamforce, and it talks about the opportunities and it talks about uh, how does one get started and what are the different tracks. So, for example, there would be one track for someone who is, say, not a developer who's coming in maybe from the IT world who uh, wants to become an admin and learn that side of it and then maybe move into development later. Uh, But there's a completely different track that if you're an experienced software developer, that you would come in, learn certain skills and sort of almost learn things backwards and then go on and learn some of the admin capabilities later. Uh, So, I talk all about that. Uh, They have Tons of resources at developer.force.com. Uh, the development org for for experimenting and learning and doing development is free. The tooling is free. Uh, so there's definitely a real push to get more developers interested in the platform. They have a, a learning system called Trailhead, which is just more fun than any learning system you're going to find anywhere else. Uh, so you know, lots of lots of resources for those who are interested in it.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of your site courses, um, I watched most of um, amazing things you can do with a web browser and a bit of code, which I thought was really cool because it was a, it was a high school or college age um, student on there. And basically, it was like you and him going back and forth and talking and actually showing me some really cool stuff that I didn't know that you can do with a web browser. Um, yeah, he he was the teacher. I was the student. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. that. And I mean, from and, you know, I've got a couple boys, and I want to teach them how to code. So I was like really interested in all the things that this young man, you know, was able to kind of teach you. Uh, it was really cool. Um, but you've got a lot of other cool courses. You know, like, do you want to be an? So you want to be an entrepreneur. Career and Survival Strategies for Software Developers. I'm interested in this, the dark side of technology careers. It, it reminds me of Star Wars uh, and the future of technology careers. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about you know, any of those courses?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's actually funny. So uh, a lot of my courses are in the career space. And when I became a, a Pluralsight author, first I did a Salesforce course because that's sort of what they recruited me to do. Uh, and after that, I said, you know, I want to do something that's sort of more broad, that can help people in general. And I proposed this course, Career and strategy, uh, career and Survival Strategies for Software Developers. And they sort of looked at me and said, oh, we've never done anything like that before. But I said, okay, we'll experiment. We'll try it. Uh, and it was incredibly successful. I mean, people loved it. Because, you know, as developers, and I'm sure this is true for infrastructure uh, people as well, uh, we so focus on tech, and we talk to each other about tech, and it's all tech, 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 tech. That sometimes we sort of forget we're human beings, right? And we have career concerns, and you know, especially now with the rapid pace of uh, of technology change, uh, there's fear. It's like, how am I going to catch up? How am I going to keep up? How am I going to learn what I need to learn? Uh, you know. Uh, you know, these, these people coming out of school who have the latest technology and, and they know things I don't know, how am I gonna keep my job, you know, cause they make less than me. So this is universal, right? Uh, I would speak at conferences uh, uh, back when I was doing the Microsoft conferences and I gradually noticed this shift where at the beginning people were there because they were really excited about learning and f- having fun. And towards the end of my time in the Microsoft conference world, I really got the sense that people were there out of sheer terror. It's like, <laughs> it's like I have to learn this latest, greatest stuff or I'm going to be in trouble. When uh, it turns out that you actually don't want to be learning the latest and greatest stuff. I talk about this in, in, in the course on learning technology in the information age. Uh, learning the bleeding edge stuff, learning the leading stuff is incredibly inefficient. It's a waste of time because... You know, you're struggling when there aren't books out yet. There isn't a lot of information out there yet. Uh, it's so much better to wait, you know, six months or a year when all the resources are there, all the people who, who struggled with the new material have digested it and, and sort of put it out in a more easily-to-understand manner. There are already hundreds of thousands of questions out on, on uh, Stack Overflow and on the forums and so on. It's so much easier to learn if you wait six months, so uh, the only people who should be experimenting and learning the very latest and newest stuff are the people who are focused on training and writing books and and doing that. Everybody else can wait uh, and that's just a pure in terms of f- efficient use of your time and you know it's radical to say that, but you know do yourself a favor don't learn the newest stuff uh it's you know, and you say, oh, Well, the companies need it. No, the companies don't, right? Enterprises, they move slowly. You know, you come in and say, I want to adopt this late, this new thing. Say, Well, what we have is working. Why would we want to adopt that? But it's exciting to see. Well, what we have is working. That's going to cost money. You know, have you checked it out? Is it secure? Is it proven? You know, so they'll discuss it and debate it and and budget for it. And a year later, you're going to deploy it. So, What's the rush, right?
2: Definitely, and and uh, just wondering, Dan, what um, in the context of that? What sort of are you see? Have you seen any shifts over perhaps like the last decade or so? Obviously, you know, as a technology. At least my perception is, it seems to get faster and faster, and you seem to be able to keep up with it less and less as time goes on. Um, there's more to digest and learn. Um, uh, have you seen any sort of shifts at all, maybe in the last few years? I mean, with the advent of firstly, you know, going from uh, client-server architecture through to virtualization now through to sort of cloud, whether it be public, hybrid or or private. Uh, has that had any impact, do you think?
1: The the big it, – it's had an impact, but not what you're thinking. So, you know, I believe, and I'm, a, I'm absolutely convinced of this, that we are going through uh, – something that is roughly equivalent to the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and I know people, you know people say that all the time, it's revolution, information revolution, and so on, but people don't necessarily think about what that really means. And the way I describe it is that there are, are two fundamental core changes to the world, right? Things that have never existed before. Uh, and the first one is uh, that knowledge has become devalued right? We are not a knowledge society, right? Uh, The whole concept of gaining knowledge is obsolete because knowledge is free, right? Everything, this is the first time in all human history that pretty much all knowledge, all human knowledge, anything you ever want to know is there instantly at no cost. So that is a fundamental shift in the human condition, and the consequences of it uh, we're only beginning to understand. Uh, And the other big shift is that it is now possible again for the first time in human history for anyone to communicate with and engage in commerce with anyone else on the planet for no cost again, right we can do things like this So, what are the consequences of these things right and we're beginning to see what those consequences are uh, and we're only at the beginning of this transition one of the big ones has to do with the field of education, which is, well, if knowledge is free, how do we, where's the value, right? Uh, and I would argue that the value is skills, right? Knowledge itself, knowing something has no value. Being able to take knowledge and do something with it is valuable. So, if your education is focused on learning things, no good. If your focus, education is focused on doing things, taking that knowledge and actually gaining real skills, that you can accomplish something with that knowledge, then you have a future. Right? Skills win. In terms of the communication and commerce side, that, that's a little bit tricky, right? Um, I think we're still figuring that one out. One is, uh, I think, potentially an increase in entrepreneurship, Right? Uh, I know more people who are making money on the side or doing little gigs, right? You know, when anybody can literally, in minutes, start selling something on the internet to the whole world, that's staggering, right? was um, a little uh, sports store uh, near here uh, that they were selling sporting goods, and it was a little store, and, and I went in and say, well, how are you doing? Say, we're doing fine. Say, you know, 80% of our business is online. Yeah, they had a storefront. But that's not where their business was. They were shipping sporting goods all over the world. right so this is this is huge, right this is This is the big change. And you know, I think here in the uS we're beginning to see another interesting consequence of it, which is why why has our political system gone insane? <laughs> right? And uh, you know, you're in Britain, Simon, and I think you would agree. <laughs> you, you've had your own forms of yeah yeah, 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 right. And arguably, one of the reasons is that uh, the Internet, right, where, where we all spend so much of our time, uh, what gets surfaced? Well, what gets surfaced more than anything else is, are things that attract clicks, right? Because it's advertising. What attracts clicks? Uh, extremist views, extremist headlines attract clicks. So what you see is a surfacing... Uh, basically moderation vanishes because nobody clicks on it so you see a surfacing in a world our perceived world world becomes more and more us against them left right extremists of different kinds Uh, a world of conflict because that's what sells clicks so we're beginning to see that and you know when I look people say well why why have things become so extreme everywhere One could arguably say, because that's what we're seeing. That's how we, that's the world that we now live in. It's all extreme because that's what sells clicks.
2: Well, the other thing is as well in the media, you know, you've got a lot more different media streams to choose from now, whether it's going through traditional media channels, such as over here, BBC or Fox or whoever, you you know, whoever your big national uh, broadcaster is versus, you know, you can go on things like uh, Twitter. I mean, I've seen events being um, announced on Twitter, you know, 15, 20, you know, sometimes 30 minutes before it even hits the headlines of a, a traditional news organization. So right. the way of, of uh, assimilating all that information out there is, you know, very definitely much, much, much more broad. And like you say, I, I totally agree. I think we're in I think they will end up calling it the information age or something equivalent to that because it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's, Never before have we been able to sort of uh, uh, digest, share, you know, views, data, information. That the, the whole works so efficiently, you know. And even in the last, like you say, what we're doing at the moment, I mean, um, you know, if we'd done this four years ago, we'd be paying for the service because this would be a business service because there's three of us on there, but now it's free. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a remote worker. I work in a little town of 5,000 people, but I work for a, a, a global um, uh, IT company. Um, mm-hmm. For a US team that's you know thousands and thousands of miles away, um, and we've got lots of little shops here, and I often think you know how do they survive type of thing, and at the moment they haven't made that that mind shift yet. I mean, if I had a, if I was a store owner, I would literally be depending on what I'm selling, obviously, but I would actually be relying on a. Uh, uh, online presence to se- sell the majority of my stuff and you know generate the most the majority of my income, but still have a storefront on you know in in the little yeah. town here. Uh, if I
1: had a storefront, I'd put up a PokéStop or a lure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: exactly. And that's just
1: happened in the past week, right? Two weeks now that 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 craziness has been going on. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, I've got I... to ask
2: the question. I've got to ask the question in that case. Who's 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 given Pokemon uh, Go a try yet?
0: I have. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry, you know, (laughs) (laughs) guilty, I have not, I have not. uh, uh, There's so much noise that uh, a lot of the focus, a lot of my focus is on triage, right? Uh, Because we have such a flood of information, such a flood of apps, such a flood of everything that, you know, for everything that comes up, it's sort of, okay, is this worth X amount of my time? Because I have a lot of things that I, I need to be doing. So, uh, and that has not reached the threshold yet, but I know about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, another thing that this um, this global free knowledge brings to mind and this sort of on-demand access to everything is, you know, the pressure that it puts on IT people where, you know, instead of spending millions in the data center on traditional applications and infrastructure, I mean, you could have the janitor walk in there and say, you know, hey, why don't you put this on force.com? You know, I heard you could save a ton of money doing that. And so, you know, traditional IT people have to continue, you know, improving their skills and and trying to keep pace and, and making you know, the smarter choi- smart choices you know, for the business. And so when you mentioned triage, I, I'm sure you get a lot of questions, kind of like we have here, where people are like, hey, what about this hot new development language? What about this you know, thing over here? Why don't we do that? Um, do you feel, you know, is, is that a, a big thing that you, like you said, you spend your time on telling, informing companies or, or other IT people? Hey, this is the right path. You know, this new technology is it's like same same stuff um as we used before. It's just it's not worth doing kind of thing or? It's
1: it it's always it's always hard to know the right path. Uh, right. You know, I, I remember I was uh I did a radio interview once and uh the guy had been doing radio for many years and we started talking. He said, you know, I he said I'm terrified, you know. Uh I studied to do this and uh you know, my station has all this expensive equipment and I know that a high school student on his PC uh, or her PC uh, can do exactly the same thing at basically for free. So how long are they going to keep me on? Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, technology is hugely disruptive and it's disrupting uh, the developer space as well. It's disrupting the IT space. It's disrupting every space. So one of the tenets of the future is adaptability. And this is one of the reasons I focus on skills. It's one of the reasons I focus on uh, interpersonal skills and leadership skills. So I have this course again on Pluralsight on introduction to leadership and management for developers uh, because I found that uh, a lot of leadership type courses are sort of designed for more right-brained people who have a very intuitive understanding of other people. And you know, speaking as a developer, intuitive understanding of other people is not my strong suit. <laughs> uh, but it turns out that technical people can be phenomenal leaders and phenomenal managers uh, if they're taught to use their skills. Right? So, for example, if I'm an excell- excellent debugger and I apply my debugging skills to human relationships, I can excel i don 't have to rely on intuitive understanding and somehow that mystic mind readings that some people are able to use. I can actually think things out and and be very effective and uh, I feel it's very important because leadership skills management skills interpersonal skills uh are that much more important in a world where knowledge is free right because you know if you're looking for a job or a client and they have to choose between somebody who is a roughly equal skill sets or even, you know, one person is better than the other. But one person interviews better and connects better and is friendlier. They're going to pick that person every time. Every time.
0: Right.
1: Right. right? So, learning those skills, uh, those are timeless. Those are about the only skills you can think of that do not go obsolete and you can actually get As you get more experience, you get better at them. So I would say to everyone, you know what I tell people uh, in college when they say, what internship should I have? Uh, What what internship should I try to get? I say, go work at a summer camp. Right? Work with the kids. Best leadership training in the world because they're, you know – Instantly transparent, right? If you do something wrong, you know it, right? They're not hiding, they're not sulking. You can tell you did something wrong, so you can refine those leadership skills, those management skills. Um, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, instead of learning the hot new programming language, um, and and having more and more acronyms on your resume you know learn something that is never goes out of style and you know you can connect with people you can you can speak you can lead uh and 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 manage and yep. uh, manage people with those hot new skills if need be but yeah
1: learn learn, learn a language learn a foreign language yeah which yeah.
2: well, is you know? useful I, I I totally agree with you Dan I mean I think you know we're, we're both. David and I, and, you know, we've got got little ones here. You know, my advice would be, it is literally, you know, be good at communication. Learn to get on with people, irrelevant mm-hmm. how awkward they can be. Just learn mm-hmm. how to get on with people, communicate, um, be adaptive, as you mentioned there. I mean, like you say, information is... Is everywhere. It's easily, you know, obtained. So for that, you need you need to prove and show that you've got skills to actually know a, know where to look for that information, and b, once you get that information, know how to assimilate it and apply it in a clear, methodical manner to whatever you've been tasked with or, or what you want to achieve. I think if you do those things, it's it's you know you can you know you can turn your hand to anything. I mean, my background, like I say, I started off. Uh, straight out of university with a degree in psychology and English and I, I, I came out as a, as a programmer. Um, yep. Never looked back, you know, and then I've moved to infrastructure and never looked back. So, you know, it really, yeah, it, it's, it's what it comes down to. I mean, a, a lot of the skills I learned, I mean, I, I I had a lot of sort of part-time jobs going through university and high school and that's why I learned a lot of uh, interpersonal communication skills and they're the ones that still carry me through and see me right now and, you know, knowing how to get on with people and, and uh, what have you and then you know when you're at uni you're doing that I mean the skills I can't remember I'll be honest with you I can't remember half the stuff I learned there but what the skills I still carry through are, are how to how to look for information how to get that information gather it and then sort of put it into some sort of format that's uh, easily digestible to myself or others uh, you know they're, they're, they're the core skills I totally agree with you
1: when I when I got my computer science degree uh, one of the courses was a, a writing class, Writing 39, and I asked at the time saying, say, I, so I, I don't really mind, I enjoy writing, but why am I being required to have a passive writing class and It was a tough writing class to get a CS degree? Uh, probably the single most useful course I took in college. I mean, you know, all those books I've written now, I'm writing plural Pluralsight courses, I write them all, you know, I don't do it off the cuff. Yeah, I write them by script them, uh so that I am able to get everything I want in there and get it expressed it the way I want. So uh who would have known? Right?
2: right. Yeah. Funny way funny like, you end up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a
0: great point. I mean plural site um People think of it as you know developer training or i t pro training or or creative training, but there's so many good business courses on there like you know your course on entrepreneurship or communication or career I've seen presentation courses on there yep, yep. i t- I took a course on time management you know on plural site, which was only forty five minutes long I thought hey that's a you know good time management course um so yeah I think that's a a great point um, I guess to wrap up this vChat on is you know adapt, keeping your skills adaptive and, and fresh and, and checking out some of your courses from plural site
1: and, and, and try to have fun
0: absolutely you
1: know, we, we, get, we, get, we get lost in the stress of the technology change and so on if you're not having fun uh, what's the point <laughs> That's right, right. It's, it, it's one of the reasons I really switched to salesforce it's fun you know it's like They've got great community, great people, great technology. Uh, you go to Dreamforce, and it's just a blast, you know, because people are there and they're really enjoying themselves. And uh, who knows how long that will last, right? Because everything changes. But right now, are the good times.
2: No, that's always good. And the top top tip earlier there as well. Anyone listening to this, that's uh, either an existing developer or just starting out or wanting to change careers to d- d- developer, definitely check out. Uh, um, looking at becoming a uh, Salesforce developer sounds like it's very, uh, very lucrative potentially, and also uh, a lot of work there as well. So, what? Actually, a question for you: Is it still Ape- is Apex the language?
1: Apex is the native language yep. for Salesforce. Yes. So,
2: yeah. Anyone listening to this, definitely you know check out Dan's courses there and yeah. uh,
1: get yourself an you Apex can, book. You can, you can go to advancedapex.com, <laughs> and I have a book there on advanced Apex programming. Perfect.
0: There we go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on with us today, Dan.
1: Thank you for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. Good, good. Thanks, Simon. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.